Hi, Your Highness podcast listeners. Before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Welcome to Your Highness Podcast, a show where we get comfortable with the uncomfortable, uncover areas of cannabis where accessibility and inclusiveness are lacking, and elevate conversations about ways to affect real change in this space. You're listening to Your Highness Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Crash, and today I am joined by Siobhan McCarthy of Blissful Alchemy. How are you doing today, Siobhan? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and chat. This is really exciting for me. Thanks. Thank you for being so patient and gracious. <laughs> um, and thank you for joining me. <laughs> Absolutely. So we are going to start this episode as we do every episode with our fave pot, fave not pot, and it's just whatever cannabis related item or thing that you're feeling right now and not cannabis related thing. So I'm going to start my fave pot right now um, is actually something that you put the pot in. <laughs> And it is my Stash Logics box, which I recently received. And it is um, child proof and odor proof. Odor proof. Sorry, I'm saying that weird. Odor proof. Um, and it's also very travel friendly. So I highly recommend. They have a whole line of uh, different types of things that you can carry your, you know, flower or whatever concentrate in that are childproof and they have double locks and they're really nicely designed. So that's mine. What's your fave pot right now? Right now is actually, it's going to be a little plug for something that I've been doing for myself. Um, I had two formulations, one for muscles and one for joints that I've amalgamated into a new formulation that's mm -hmm. in a stick format. That's been my go-to. I, um, I have challenges with my jaw that locks open and so yeah. I've kind of cracked the formulation that it feels okay to be putting it on my face. Uh, whereas a lot of the other products in the marketplace were just too harsh for the face. Like they're fine for your knee or your back, but just too much for the actual jaw and face area. So yeah, that's my new go-to. You'll often find me rolling it all over my face, temples, the whole nine yards. Um, oh, nice. And you just, made this yourself? Yeah, yeah, I make it. It's a product I'd like to be able to bring to market eventually. Um, That's amazing. I love putting, I there is one topical that I can put on my face right now, but I, I, I need more. So I would love to do that cause, because I have migraines and tooth pain and all all kinds of fun stuff. So yeah, I, me I'm too. Always like, I get the really bad migraines. <laughs> it's like neck, shoulder pain and like really bad migraines and like the jaw locks open. So yeah, I've just been like super impressed with this new formulation because it's not causing me to break out. It's not too uh, irritating in any way. Normally I wouldn't be one to put a lot of like peppermint and camphor on my face, but yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of them have that in there and it's not, it's not very uh, conducive to your face. So it's good to find something that is easy to put anywhere really absolutely <laughs> absolutely so yeah that's my my new little go-to I carry it it's in a black little stick so it's always in my pocket or in my purse I've got one in the car they're kind of like everywhere <laughs> you know, oh nice hourly it feels like so I love that yeah um 
so my fave not pot right now is um rupaul's drag race (laughs) all-stars the new season (laughs) of all winners the winter season um it's just so much joy it's (laughs) it's just lovely to see people support each other and just be like really positive about each other's art and uh and not nitpicky or negative and i mean it's just a really great season and i'm really enjoying it so (laughs) amazing that's awesome yeah i I love that show i love all of the ones they come out with but this one i'm really it's my favorite probably so far so what's your fade not pot um lately i've been really enjoying a herbal chai that i've been making a herbal chai tea um i have cut coffee out of my diet uh unless i have a migraine coming in so it's been um and i'm really trying not to drink like my milky tea with milk and sugar throughout the day so i've been formulating i just launched a bunch of teas that i grow everything um at the farm mostly for my topicals but i've now formulated 10 different teas and i really love the herbal chai one and then my other like second go-to would be the breathe easy because it's formulated for smokers and it's really great for like lung and mouth and gum health so nice yeah where do you get that i make it i make it wow i love that that is so cool i love the whole i love everything that you're about when it comes to the diy alchemy but we'll get to that um so (laughs) we're going to talk about another thing that i really love to talk about is accessibility yeah. More specifically, how accessibility can't be something anyone boasts if they aren't including disabilities. Amen. So, <laughs> how, yeah, right. <laughs> and I feel like some people like don't look at the granular aspect of that so much. And I should say some people, a lot of people. Um, how how much does the Canadian cannabis market factor disability into accessibility efforts, would you say? In my experience, not very much at all. Yeah. And um, it's unfortunate because, you know, it was a lot of the disabled community and the chronically ill that lobbied as hard as we did to make cannabis medically legal. Um And now there's this new kind of shift that's happening in the legal marketplace where a lot of licensed producers who originally came to market with a a medicinal kind of arm, a branch for the medical side are now kind of winding down and they're not proliferating with their medical side. So it feels almost like a smack in the face, (laughs) to be honest, like... And I find it really challenging as like everybody feels that accessibility and disability is mired to the wheelchair. And right. that's just so 1965 that it's ridiculous. Right? <laughs> I, seriously, I I could really go on all day, but I I have been so discouraged about the amount of coverage that goes into this as a writer and and I know that you you create a lot of art and, and content as well. And it's it's challenging to find something that is not mainstream, but like to have someone cover it in a way that isn't just so niche, you know, like, oh, this is a chronic pain magazine or this is whatever. And um, basically what I'm saying is it was really difficult to try to cover the uh, accessibility holes in this industry when I was really going after them earlier on in my writing career and I still try to as as I go on but it's it's like I wrote a series for high times a couple of years ago and I was trying to focus on specific holes in the, in the accessibility uh area right for lack of better words, because my brain's not really working very well today. But um, <laughs> what I'm saying is we don't think about things like people who are deaf. What are, how do they, what is their dispensary experience? Yeah. Or the know? visually impaired or the people who are physically disabled and there's not even a disabled parking spot. Or if there is, it's right by a curb that doesn't have a cutout. So it's useless. Right. And the affordability. Yeah. Like, 
most people with chronic illness and an invisible disability are not making um, much above the poverty line most of the time. So that's correct. That's one of the reasons why I really love working with seniors and the disabled people and teaching them how to make their own medicine and utilize every little piece of the plant and not to waste anything and just to try to empower them to have more control over their their health and wellness, because it can be very, very expensive. And, you know, I'll even go so far as to say three quarters of the dispensaries cases are not at accessible level for anybody who would be in a chair. Right. Or has carpal tunnel or arthritis or any other kind of physical limitation. I mean, these, I understand that we need to have child proof, you know, we need to have some kind of child proof, right? But also that that goes a lot further than the packaging yeah. child proof <laughs> that goes into the education the conversations the normalization you can't just say okay look i have this thing and it's double locked and it's like a maze to get into and that's good enough right it's or not even good. like when you talk about accessibility what about the single mom where what are they supposed to do with their child while they need to go get their medicine yeah you can take your child to the liquor store. You can take your child everywhere else. Why can't you take them to the cannabis shop? Right. It's not like they're blowing smoke into their face as soon as they come into the door. Right. So it's like that parents then got to have childcare or what, leave their kid in the car. I don't know. Like it, it's a bit of a problem. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's like, okay, I understand that it's still a brand new industry, but at the same time, the, less we talk about these things the more it's just going to snowball into every other industry with all of its inaccessibility and I mean let's be honest it's already very much like that so <laughs> absolutely and then if you talk about anything online there's this expectation that people have access to the internet that they have a computer or a phone that will you know enable them to do that and that they have a credit card you know, there's a lot of people in this world, they don't have those things. Those are privileges. They're not givens. <laughs> right. I know. I think that was one of the reasons why I had such difficulty getting any of the articles I wanted greenlit in the past, because um, they look at it like, well, you have access. The plant is available to you, technically speaking, but not everywhere. It's not. It's not just because it's legal, it's accessible, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> just because you have a medical card, it doesn't mean that you can get access. Like, I think there's a lot of judgment in the way people obtain their medicine, too, which is not, which goes out of the realm of accessibility. Like, it, people saying, well, if you get this from here, and da 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 da, well, some people can only get things from this place, or they can only afford this. And so that is so amazing that you are empowering people. How is that even working out for you with the senior citizens? Do you think in Canada it's a little bit more open-minded when it comes to that type of um, education that you're giving these people? Yeah, it's, it's starting to. I mean, I, again, though, there's like this, again, in, in Canada and most of the provinces, people are allowed to grow four of their own plants. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't have a space in which they can do that or it's against their lease, right? This is again, assuming everybody's a homeowner with a backyard or has the ability to put together a tent and pay for extra electricity and all of the other components that would be needed to do an indoor room uh, show, you know? So um, yeah, it, it's, tr it's a tricky one. I mean, I think a lot of the seniors that I'm working with, they tend to be in a pretty good place in life. You know, they've, they've done well for themselves and they're retired and many of them do have a garden and we can go and kind of play in their garden. But you know, they're there for as many of those, there'll be four times as many that don't have any of that. And so then we start to work with being creatively compliant. Is it something that maybe I can help them and they can grow at the farm and then I gift it to them because I'm allowed to gift 30 grams a day. Like, it's 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 an interesting dilemma. Um, you know, myself, I'm not even allowed 
to grow where I live, I have a farm that I go to, you know, and that's challenging because I'm used to having my plants really close to me and yet I have to now drive an hour to go take care of them. Um, so, you know, accessibility is on many fronts in so far as um, just having things align with the financial means, the regulations, the regulations being compliant with your personal living scenario. Cause just cause health Canada says you're allowed to grow forward. doesn't mean that your landlord wants you to, you know? Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of different moving parts and, you know, cannabis for, for medical use has been legal in Canada for close to 20 years. So it's not that new. We've only been on the recreational side since 2018, but you know, there's a long legacy before that. So that's one thing that I'm always advocating and reminding, especially like medical practitioners when they're like very confused because they haven't done their due diligence to learn about how the system works. And then they say, well, it's, it's legal. Just go to the dispensary. And it's like, yeah, but that's, that's for recreational. I'm, I'm, I'm a medical patient. There's a whole other stream that we need to be working on. And you know, doctors just don't have the bandwidth to want to deal with it. Right. Especially now during this pandemic and all of it, it's, it's even more challenging to have them even consider. I don't know what it's like there, but here I can't even get a doctor to consider what I use medically as a medical treatment. I recently had a a challenge with a, a general practitioner who was refusing to renew my license uh, my prescription for my license and refused to want to educate themselves, refused to want to listen. They were just, I don't know, a big ego in a meat sack. It was really horrific. Um, the experience that I had with them and I'm really grateful to know that they're no longer going to be practicing medicine for a while, that they're going to go be a parent. And I really hope that they'll be a far better parent than they ever were a physician. Right. I know. Seriously. It's, it's so disheartening. Well, the stigma is real and, you know, to have a medical practitioner accuse me of things that I never would have even considered and things that are like not even possible. Like I have a pretty significant license because I grow my own medicine to make my own medicine and I'm growing predominantly outside, outdoors. So I have a very kind of limited window of growing, which is this year has been truncated because we've had such horrible weather. So everything's really quite slow and there's a concern, you know, will we finish in time? in the season before the mold and the powdered mildew and everything starts to set in. Um, and, you know, my license is pretty significant because I'm using topicals, I'm juicing live. And, um, you know, we have challenges in farming where crops fail or you get infestation or something happens or, you know, the deer get it or other humans are gross and they steal them. And, um, they're the largest predators out there, other humans. And so, um, you know, it's, it gets to be an arduous task when there's already so many moving parts of this mechanism of legal cannabis. And then when you have a medical practitioner that just really doesn't even understand farming and they're like, you know, on paper, my, my prescription looks pretty large with a, a large count of grams per day. And she would say to me, oh, you're just sitting on the couch smoking that. And I'm like, I physically couldn't. Mm-hmm. Physically, it would be impossible for me to do what you're accusing me of doing. Like, it's just, that's never going to happen. And I'm really disappointed that you haven't read the notes and looked at how, you know, with my previous physician, we worked over a three-year period to shift my consumption methods from combustion to vaping edibles topicals um you know it's like we worked really hard and and you're unwinding all of that work through your ignorance and your stigma and you're not even open to learning that's the part that I found just so horrific was the this attitude of like I'm just I know what I know I'm the doctor I'm the expert she literally had the audacity to tell me that I she was the expert in my health I wasn't the expert in my own experience (laughs) (laughs) Uh yep I know I know that all too well I mean I I've had doctors laugh at me you know it's like how are you even pretending to care about other people's well-being in a professional way and you're not even going to listen or read like you said the notes like you put so much work into just that well and also in Canada like you have to the physicians are not allowed to prescribe cannabis first you actually have to prove um, 
other medicines not working for you for a significant period of time, at least traditionally back in the day when I first got my license, they weren't allowed to just say like right off the bat, oh, let's try cannabis. I actually had to prove that, you know, morphine didn't work well for me and I had problems with codeine and I had problems with anti-inflammatories and I like had to go through the gamut and prove my toxicity and prove my challenges to be eligible for cannabis back in the day. So when this ignorant human who hadn't done any due diligence in regards to reading my file was telling me all of these crazy things based on her lack of knowledge and lack of experience and lack of due diligence was infuriating to me because it was like, wow, like this, why are we going backwards? (laughs) It just amazes me. And so, you know, I had to explain to her that when I'm juicing a plant live, like one ounce of juice can take a whole plant. And if I'm doing one ounce of juice a day, that's 30 plants for the month. And so that equates to a certain percentage. And then, you know, we also have to deal with loss and damage and other issues that might happen in farming. So sometimes that prescription can look a little bit larger to make room and account and have like a contingency in place for accountability if something goes a little bit sideways you're not left with nothing if that makes sense totally makes sense makes sense to me oh i'm sorry you have to deal with that it's it's just so frustrating so in that vein let's talk about ableism um ableism is discrimination and social prejudice against people with disabilities and or people who are perceived to be disabled Ableism characterizes people as defined by their disabilities. So without naming specifics or names, (laughs) can you talk about some of the ableism you've experienced in the cannabis industry? Oh, yeah, it's been pretty horrific. And it got really bad during COVID. Um, when, When everybody had to go online as a means of connecting, it ostracized those of us who have any kind of vestibular issues, concussions or anything along those lines. It's like, I just, I can't participate in the same way. And it's hard because in my experience, I've told a lot of people like repeatedly, I'm really sorry. I can't read that. No, I can't do that. Like that, that's, that's a challenge. I'm I'm having a really hard time being online. is difficult for me. It brings me migraines and vomiting. And, and it's like, you know, I had a colleague who was once a dear friend of mine who, when she was trying to make her way in the industry as a journalist, was very quick to, you know, want to interview me and have her me be in a chapter of her book. And she's done a lot of research around psychedelics and the use of psychedelics to deal with brain injuries. And yet, when I was really struggling, um she refused to be respectful and um, comply with my requests for accommodations. She would bully me and inundate me with messages that I couldn't read. She would be FaceTiming me when I told her I was actually not available because I was quite sick with a migraine uh, and the world was spinning. And there was just a complete lack of respect and I was like wow like you're a performative journalist you've spent a lot of time interviewing many different different athletes over the years and you have absolutely no compassion or any ability to integrate the knowledge that you've acquired through these interviews through your journalistic practice so ultimately you don't give a shit (laughs) you're this performative this is all just for her to build a name for herself versus actually caring about humans behind the cause and that was really confronting for me it was actually devastating because it was somebody that I had thought was a very very dear friend of mine and I was horrified with their complete lack of compassion um and 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 how they continue to proliferate a really negative vibe. And it just seems cruel. It seems absolutely cruel. I feel like I shouldn't have to explain numerous times that I can't keep up because I can't read the text that you're sending me. (laughs) Right. And I say, I really can't keep up. Can we please have a conversation in person so I can participate? And then, you know, the conversation says, oh, I feel manipulated by you. And it's like, well, actually I'm feeling manipulated by you because you're trying to communicate with me in a, in a manner that I can't participate and I'm asking you to have accommodations for me so that we can be genuine humans face to face and talk through 
what this perceived issue is to our mutual benefit versus one person bullying the other <laughs> and making a mountain out of a molehill. But it was the the tone and how it all went down and it just seemed so unnecessary. Um, and yeah, and I just, and it's just one of many examples of, you know, how difficult it is to maneuver around in the world when you can't participate with a lot of online presence. I mean, it's, it's challenging. I feel like most of us have gotten to know each other through Instagram and it was going to conferences in the beginning. And in the last few years, the conferences have all been online and at the beginning, they weren't even scheduling bio breaks. It was just like this expectation. We were all tethered to zoom and it's not healthy and it doesn't work for everybody. No, I mean, I don't understand. And also I've, I've also contributed to it because, you know, sometimes I get caught up in things and I forget to put in descriptions or think about screen readers and closed captioning. I don't always think about those things and I need to, and I need to be more accessible to people who are guests on this show but I just don't understand how we shifted from physical conferences and events to virtual and people act like that just solved all of the accessibility issues. I mean, as a mother, I can say that there is, I have yet to find a conference or a cannabis event that is cannabis parent friendly. Like, where is the daycare? Where are the hours that are actually attainable because my child is not in bed you know what I mean it's the scheduling it's the is there even that thing where do we start with that you know oh, yeah absolutely I mean especially when everybody was on lockdown and you know conferences were supposed to be all day every day and it was like I'm also supposed to be homeschooling my children <laughs> right and and also you still have the same sensory issues right exactly. you still have the same sensory issues the same vision the same all of this is still there you know and um i think that that's a something that is a huge flaw and and like you said in the, in, in the networking world of it all right like not really thinking about who can't participate in these events yeah and I, I used to be the artistic director of the Society for Disability of Arts and Culture. So, you know, when I was producing films for filmmakers with disabilities, it was important that we had audio description, that we had closed captioning, that we had interpreters um, on stage to be able to do the interpretation for live screenings. Um, it's it's challenging. It's very expensive. Right. And I was just going to say that next. That's always the next reason. That's the reason. And so, you know, I myself, like, I'm struggling just to have any kind of presence as it is as a person with a disability that really struggles with online. And I'm very cognizant of the fact that I'm not a, I'm not making it accessible for other people in my process either because I'm barely making it through myself, if that makes sense. Like, yesterday Yeah, I had, you don't have the resources. Yeah. You don't have the resources. Because people aren't giving them to you. So now you can't make the resources available to other people. That's right. That's right. So switching gears a little bit, let's talk about <laughs> your show parts. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Red Eye, all the things that you have going on now. Let's talk about that before we end. Yeah, Parked <laughs> is a bit of an older one for me. Parked was a... a oh, okay. A, Sorry. <laughs> it was good because it, you know, it crosses over. It was an edgy comedy about stay-at-home dads. Uh, who were literally like parked in their life. They hung out at the park that they went and got, you know, went to as kids and then got drunk at as teenagers. And they're like, oh God, how did I come back here as the hunter? How am I the gatherer? <laughs> I thought I was supposed to be out being the hunter. How am I at the park with the kids? So um, it was an edgy comedy that we wrote. I wrote, I created it with my really dear friend, Adam. And it was a, uh, a real labor of love. We started it when our kids were basically newborns and oh. by the end of it, they were definitely toilet trained and like <laughs> not newborn. Yeah, they were <laughs> newborns and then they were like five by the end of it kind of thing. They were in wow. kindergarten by the time it like aired and saw the light of day. So 
it was just really interesting. Like I wanted to show what that parenting perspective was like from a father's scenario because my son's father and I, when my son was very young, did a lot of co-parenting and we ultimately, whoever didn't have the baby was working and whoever wasn't working had the baby. And it was like a revolving door of like, how are we going to make this all work kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. he would tell me like, it was quite lonely for him as a, as a, as a dude, you know, like he was like, I can't even find a bathroom. I can change him in. The assumption is the change rooms are in all the women's bathrooms and, Mm-hmm. you know yoga and mummy like mummy and me yoga he's like I'm the only guy like it's everything's mummy and me everything is like all these women are all hanging out with their girlfriends and they're all having coffee and laughing and I'm like the odd one out and I, it really kind of spoke to my heart and we also created it like originally was going to have like an agnostic third party app that was going to be um that was going to help with like telling people like where are the coffee shops that are uh, like have a, a gender neutral bathroom that has a change table. So it's not an issue. And so when we looked at it that way, we thought, Oh, this user generated app could be really helpful because it would work for the accessibility side as well. Ultimately a double stroller is the same size as a wheelchair. So if we had this app that addressed kind of accessibility as a single dad approach, it could also be mired and used double purpose through the disabled community to know which washrooms are accessible and which coffee shops are accessible as well. Like it was something that I thought, Oh, if this really builds out, it could be a dual purpose for societal good kind of app, so to speak. <laughs> so That's awesome. yeah, that was like, we originally, cause we wanted it to be edgy. We wanted it to be online. It wasn't anything that we were looking like at one point we had hopes of having it being a broadcast show, but we did enjoy the fact that we released through daily motion and YouTube and um, it was very well received. You know, it went viral when, as soon as we released it, we got a hundred thousand views in less than 24 hours and we made the title page a Reddit. So it did quite well for itself. And, you know, it's, it was written in the vein of it's always sunny in Philadelphia meets married with children. So it's kind of zany. It's kind of out there. But, um, you know, it was a lot of fun to make. Yeah. And like the dads were smoking dope and drinking beer as they're trying to raise their kids. And it was just a really like realistic view of what happens when you leave your child with dad. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like looking through the peephole, right? It's like a friend of mine was like, I don't understand how in the car seat or in the stroller, the 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 like the safety belt is missing and the guy was like oh I just put it out and I'm like what <laughs> so you know just kind of dads tend to be a little bit more cavalier and like oh that kid will just bounce get back up like they're just a little bit not yeah. as like moms are very like are you okay like a little bit more concerned of like all the bumps and sprains and bruises and whatnot whereas in my experience, the, the dads are a little bit more like brush it off, walk it off, you know, let's keep going. So it was kind of like wanting to look at what is that difference in parenting from the male perspective versus the female perspective. So that was parked. That's cool. <laughs> I was going to say my husband's the opposite of that, but <laughs> and like, there's always the extremes on either end. And then there's yeah. like the middle person too, right? I was going to so. say, it sounds more like me, but <laughs> anyway (laughs) which is why like I was one of the few women in the like it was like five dudes and me right and then I had a female producing partner who also every now and then was like we have to bring out the feminine side a bit more so that's funny yeah yeah (laughs) and then and I think people loved it like we had a really cheeky episode that was called master baker and we had a hummer and they were all like smoking out the hummer it was like totally hot boxed and you know there was just we didn't, we didn't hide cannabis use. We actually highlighted it. So, um, and that hadn't been done a lot around parenting issues. Right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Blissful Alchemy? Yeah, absolutely. So Blissful Alchemy was, um, or is, a project under Blissful Productions. So Blissful Productions is my production company or one of them. And um, I had run and worked with a very successful legacy line of topicals pre-legalization. Um, mm-hmm. 
And once legalization came into play, we had to go separate ways because it was really important for me to remain compliant. And with that came um, in the first year of legalization, topicals were not available. They only came out in the second tier of legalization the following year. And even with that, they were very slow to be rolled out. So I went from, you know, having clients that I'd been taking care of for a good five, six years who depended upon my products to all of a sudden not being allowed to sell them to them. And it just seemed like a real issue because I've always been so patient driven because that's the lens in which I live. And so that's when I decided to create Blissful Alchemy as a place for people to come together and talk about cannabis in a non-threatening way so that it could be a very hands-on approach and to teach people how to utilize every little piece of the medicine and how to work with it in a collaborative approach with other plant medicines um, for optimal efficacy. And it was just a matter of like building like a communal kitchen and coming together as a group to make batches that everybody, you know, they would get the knowledge and then they could go home with their jar of whatever they made. And it was a really beautiful thing. Like it was really well received before COVID. Um, People loved the fact that they could make a date out of it with their mom or like with a friend and they could come and learn many different things in a very hands-on approach and that they would then take it home. And it was often cheaper than what would be available in a dispensary back in the day. Um, so they were getting the knowledge and taking home their own, their own product that they had made. And so that was the model of Blissful Alchemy in the beginning. And I would do all different kind of workshops in regards to how to infuse oils, how to, um, how to make hash, how to eat the plant raw, how to make, um, edibles, how to make chocolates, you know, the whole nine yards, we would bring in all the different makers who were the experts in their lane, so to speak, to come in and teach the workshops. And we did a lot of events, we had a Tantra specialist that would come in and we would make pleasure oil on the side and chat about different pleasure um, capacities and, you know, just women's health in general. So it was a very eclectic space that I had, I had, um, pink velvet couches and fine china so we would do a lot of high teas it was kind of like going to your grandma's salon with like nice oriental carpets and persian carpets and um yeah i just wanted to elevate the plants so that it would be more desirable and more enhanced versus um it being degraded, if that makes sense. And there's a lot of fear and stigma around it. So it was about having a very polished, elevated space to utilize um, this communing of coming together. I mean, social media, Facebook, this has been like, what, a 12, 13 year experiment. And in this process, like in an effort to connect, we've disconnected and we're not communing in person. So it was really nice to kind of get a group of people together so they could all make something together. And that was the kind of the impetus for why I really, really wanted to work in this way was just to really foster and establish community. So I was able to help many other women in the cannabis industry with their businesses take things to the next level. So we had cannabis guided yoga classes, we had infused dinners, and I would bring in different chefs who could then highlight their talents. So I did a lot of collaborations with other women to kind of help promote them and their businesses, help promote the use of cannabis without the stigma, and just to help normalize it. Um, And then when I, I, unfortunately, I I lost my space. um, And we then kind of did an approach where it was like, literally, like, have pot wheel travel, like book me into your home, and we can do like an a Tupperware party with cannabis and we can make a batch together with your friends and your close people in your kitchen. It's like, literally I have pot, we'll travel, we'll come to you and I will teach you all about cannabis and it's different formats in a very hands-on approach in the convenience of your own home. So that was really quite successful until COVID hit. <laughs> and then when COVID hit and nobody was allowed to talk to one another and everything went online, I tried to do a few workshops for a while online but I found them really difficult for myself. Like it was definitely something where I needed somebody else to help and be almost like an administrator, so to speak. Like I found it challenging to be teaching and hosting because 
questions would come up in the chat that I couldn't even see, never mind read. And I found it hard to manage it all myself. And so I did a few in collaboration with other female-led businesses that were really helpful because then they would, I would be the guest speaker, but they would be there as the facilitator, the host, and the admin, so to speak, to be able to field those questions that I wasn't able to catch because I was too busy doing the teaching. <laughs> and my eyes fail me that they wouldn't let me read. So, um, so that's been kind of challenging. And now as the world is opening up again, um, with Blissful Alchemy, I've, I've kind of taken a few different approaches. Um, one of the things that I've been doing is I've been formulating and creating products in collaboration with other entities. So a very big project I'm super excited about is the Mary Jane Manor in Mosley, Alberta, just 45 minutes from Calgary. It's run by Serena Donovan and um, her family uh, runs as well the, the micro LP called Because You Can. And she's created the first ever cannabis hotel in Canada where you can go and you can check in and you can consume cannabis and all the rooms are themed around the different terpenes. So there's like the limonene room and the linalool room and all the rooms are just wow. like so beautifully curated with her amazing impeccable taste and style. And it's a place for people to come together and to do wellness workshops, educational workshops. Um, and so I did all of the shampoos, conditioners, and uh, lotions that are in the rooms just because I felt that they needed to be on brand. So we didn't work with cannabis. We worked with hemp because of the compliance issues. Um, and so that's a pro project that I'm super excited about. One of the other things that I've been doing is I've been formulating these teas and I've been starting to make a way to go to the the markets, um, the craft fairs and the farmers markets. And then if people wanted to infuse it with the, like an infused honey or have it elevated, then we could have a different conversation or I could teach a workshop to teach them how to do that. But the teas themselves have got no cannabis in them. So I'm slowly been making a lot of products that are not cannabis infused that um, have all of the other plant medicines that are not scheduled in them <laughs> right yeah and that is so amazing yeah it's a trip it's a trip like I'm literally I'm trying to figure it all out like I would have gone to market a hundred times over yesterday if I'd had the financial means in which to do it and what's challenging is you know I've been making cannabis topicals for many many years in a very slow medicine approach where I'm growing everything myself I'm infusing everything with the moon cycles myself. I'm distilling my own essential oils from the plants that I'm growing at the farm with my own still that I got from Portugal through an amazing company there. So, you know, when you're working on a more craft approach that's handmade products, it's very different to what it's like in the consumer packaged goods environment. But it's so, so cool. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's very challenging, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. But I, I think that is like so much what drives a lot of people who started this industry, right? Like this is what can keep us going as an industry from getting, it can keep us from getting too corporate as long as we have people like you out there. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, I really believe in the energy of the plants. And, you know, for quite some time, I was the the director of sales and marketing for one of the 18 labs approved by health Canada for testing cannabis. And so wow. I was able to see all of these licensed producers test results. And I was so horrified. That's what made me change my license from being registered with these LPs to growing and creating my own medicine because I was able to see that they weren't clean. And that was a problem for me. And the people that I'm serving and taking care of are their patients who have major health issues and, you know, not having a clean medical supply, this is access and this is a problem. And so this is another reason why I have the mandate that I do of trying to teach people to be empowered and responsible for every aspect of their medicinal chain of cannabis so that they aren't taking in products that could potentially harm them or doesn't have the efficacy that they are believing it to have or right. is utilizing other 
ingredients that I would never even consider thinking of, like palm oil or, right. you know, heavily. And the oil. breathing. I mean, so many people I know, especially myself included, with, you know, asthma and allergies, there's so much mold and other types of chemicals. And I mean, I don't know if it's that way in Canada. But there, well, there's I, a study that I was definitely reading about how allergies are definitely on the rise as commercial cannabis is becoming an industry unto itself and again to me that's an indicator of not ethically grown products that are having to utilize herbicides pesticides in a way that's not great and that's what happens when you get into large you know commercial farming of something it's a different game versus the craft approach so I really try to stay within the craft approach and I, I know about the integrity of the medicine that I'm working with. I, I know where it's grown. I know who's touching it. I know the energy of the land. I know what was grown on the land before this, you know, and wow, that to me is how I want to be with my food. It's how I want to be with my cosmetics. It's how I want to be with everything, right? It's like, if I don't want to eat it, then I don't want to put it on my skin. So that's just myself personally. I've had to go through some major health issues and crises with my health. And it's just, that's my, my, my approach is to not have to work with a lot of um, preservatives and chemicals unnecessarily. Like I go back to my, my roots when I worked at Lush and a very much of this fresh cosmetics and things need to be used within the month right when I do my bath soaps, I'm like don't tell me you have it three months later you should be using right. it within three days of receiving it kind of thing so yeah. I just I'm that's that's the the kind of the ethos of the world in which that I'm working through right now if that makes any sense so that makes so much sense and I wish I lived closer to you I wish I lived in Canada <laughs> Put you to work on the farm. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I love that. Oh, that is so amazing. And it's it's empowering. It's inspiring. Um, and I definitely want you to come back to talk more in detail about craft, um, you know, what do you call it? Craft consumership. I don't even know what you <laughs> would call it. But I just, I, I'm, I'm kind I of, I've it. been coining like slow medicine, similar to like the f- slow food movement, right? I, I I see it very similar. Like yesterday was the new moon and I was draining and decanting different infusions that have been infused since the last moon. Right. So, you know, if I'm I'm doing things slowly over time and, um, you know, like anything good in life, you can't rush it. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I keep telling myself. I am very impatient. So I'm something I work on, (laughs) but yeah, that is amazing. And, Thank you for joining me today and just giving some perspective on how inaccessible this industry really is and just shedding some light on the fact that because you think that it's accessible because it's online, it it, it isn't, right? Like just, just shedding light on how many people are left out of these events and this community building, period. Yeah, and to be fair, like – it's not just the cannabis industry. We don't like, have to be fair. I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, it's a world. It's a worldly issue. Um, yes, you totally. know. Oh yes, totally, absolutely. It's a worldly issue. I think that it's way too common for people to assume that because something is online, it's accessible. Period. I agree wholeheartedly, and I guess I just I like to highlight that a lot of our world is not accessible and the best thing that we can do for our fellow human being is be aware of our surroundings. And so if you do see that somebody's going to struggle, help them out. Like I was in a store the other day, somebody was in a chair and something had fallen in the aisle and they weren't able to continue. And three people walked by and did nothing. And I was like, Oh, hold on a second. Let me get that for you. And I like moved it out of the way. And they were like, thanks. Like I was kind of surprised the other people stood up, stepped over it and just kind of looked at me like, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's work from a place of kindness and compassion and try to take a walk in somebody else's shoes and see what that experience is like so that we can have more empathy and we can look out for one another and we can help each other out. We can hold the doors open for each other and we can, you know, meet one another with a smile and, and, and return to that kindness that is inherent within us but 
seems to have diminished quite a bit since this pandemic, unfortunately. It really has. Even in myself, I feel like I a lot of those things, I thought I had them in ample quantities, and now I'm realizing that they just <laughs> are back down to almost zero levels. I'm trying to replenish them and learn and unlearn and you know it's a process right but... it is it's like a it's a resocialization as well after being kind of confined totally oh totally I think we've all forgotten how to be human in a lot of ways and... so as we do that and as we all kind of re-enter into the world it's nice to have an extra set of lenses to be able to be more accessible to those who are not as able-bodied or are visually not you know, they might be disabled, but not visually presenting that way. And I right. think that just goes back to the saying of like, just shower people with kindness, because we have no idea what's going on for each person, you know, they could be having a whole war going on in between their ears. And you giving them a smile could make a world of difference in their day. <laughs> That's so true. Thank you again for joining. And please definitely come back anytime. Oh, I would love that, Diana. Thank you so much for such a great candid conversation about important issues and doing it in a really friendly, happy-go-lucky way. That's really important to me as well. You know, it's not like we want to call people out and wag fingers. We just want to talk about experiences to give people food for thought so that they can iterate and do better in the future, right? So I really appreciate you being open to wanting to have this conversation. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Until next time, stay high and beautiful. Amazing. Have a blissful day. Your Highness podcast began in 2017 with a goal to highlight women and non-binary folks who are working to make cannabis accessible and who are making the industry more equitable. But Your Highness is also about getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, amplifying voices of those who are speaking truth to power and featuring women who are fighting the status quo. Because of that, It only makes sense for the podcast to be the home of a new monthly travel show, which will be the first of its kind. Enter Veronica Castillo, otherwise known as the Traveling Vegan Cannabis Writer, who will give audiences an on-the-ground understanding of the cannabis travel industry. With the help of Dom, the Cannamom, Your Highness listeners, we'll be able to hear about the people who made this industry possible. In addition to extending V's storytelling platform through audio outreach, this partnership will amplify voices of black and brown farmers and cultivators, uncover cannabis-friendly lodging and travel accommodations, highlight travel hacks and lessons from the road, and it will feature insight from travel experts and much more. To illustrate the Traveling Vegan Cannabis Writer team and what that is about and what that encapsulates a bit, Dom the Cannamom is here today to talk about a few selected articles that really illustrate some powerful and dynamic collaborations and projects that both you and V um, have been involved with in the last year. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Dom. Thank you for joining me today, and thank you for joining us in this project. Thank you for having me, Di. I appreciate it. This is super amazing. I'm very grateful to be in this space with you. Um, I have had the pleasure of working with V for over the past four years. Um, It started out very small for me and me being nervous, but it grew into me realizing that V is that dynamic force and I wouldn't want to be working with anybody else. So I'm happy to have met you in this space and for us to keep it going. I'm Um, so happy. And I'm sorry, before you continue, I didn't mean to cut you off. I feel like 100% everything you just said, return. (laughs) Reflect and receive or reflect and receive. I don't know. I'm not saying it right, but you know what I mean. Sorry, go on. (laughs) I agree. Um, That is the energy that pervades every project and every person that I meet, Um, especially when they're uh, familiar with V. Um, It's an honor to represent her today, you know, and to work with her. So um, the first place that I want to highlight, the first business that I want to highlight actually is Sunflower Space Cakes in West Philly. 
Um, they're actually on North 52nd Street, and they are super amazing. Um, recently, they announced the opening of the Healing Care Vortex Center, so the THC Vortex Center, which will open its doors in July. Uh, but Sunflower Space Cakes is a vegan company, and they are also a safe space for 420 lovers to get together to purchase their flower, to consume, and to also find ways to be social with tribe. Um, that's very important because there aren't a lot of spaces for consumption where you can go besides, you know, your homie's house. And that's cool and everything. I love my people. But sometimes I want to get in a space where it's not someone else's specific house. Sometimes I want to go somewhere that's a little more chill and a little bit more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, neutral. So when you walk into the space, um, if you check out on uh, vtravelingvegcannerwriter.com, the article, Sunflower Space Cakes, um, Live from the Lair. It really talks about the, uh, the area being a social hub, but it also talks about it being a sacred space. Um, I'm looking forward to sharing more, more energy there when the months get a little warmer because they also have space for vendors. So um, Samaya Talia Farrows, actually the owner and the founder of the space, um, her background is in accounting and she's excellent at making numbers multiply and also making food multiply, um, especially edibles. Um, when I first experienced Sunflower Space Cakes, they were still being built up. And even when I walked into the space and the walls were bare, I could see the vision there. And I remember telling V, you have to get here because I feel like this is important. I feel like the East Coast needs to be highlighted. Um, when Veronica did come out, I think I want to say maybe two months later, a month or two. No, I had the I did the interview in December. She came out when New York had just legalized adult use, recreational use. And we rode into, we first, we all met at the same, at once for the first time. Um, that was my first time meeting V in 2020. I had known her for all this time, but I, that was my first time meeting her in person. And then uh, we brought Samaya to get, like we came together with Samaya. We got in the car and we drove to New York. It That's was the wild. Most, yeah. It was the most dynamic energy like the, I, I want to say the sunflower space cakes is not just the space. Sunflower space cakes is the energy, the tribe, the brand. Um, just being around them, anybody that's a, affiliated with Samaya, anybody that was working there, I feel like it was just power and it was love. It's a wild feeling when you meet somebody that you've been talking to online and like over virtually and whatever, and not in real life, and then you meet them. I've had that experience several times it's so jarring sometimes but it can also be amazing and it sounds like it really turned into a lot of magic with the two of you well the three of you but I definitely want to check them out next time I'm in that part of Philly for sure please do specifically put them in your GPS I, I will give you the address um, because it's 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 nothing like anything I've ever experienced um, when we went to New York we were smoking on the street with folks, uh, sunflowers is giving out edibles, and that's the most giving I've seen in the cannabis industry ever. I don't wow. really see a lot of that. She was on the streets with her home-baked products, giving them out and encouraging people and smiling. And we was passing, we, I think we smoked with a, a dude that was walking down the street with us. It was just, it was really dope. It was live. And we went inside of like a little, we had to go to the bathroom. So we went inside of like a little restaurant. Um, it was at the time, you know, COVID was still, it was still heightened. And I think people were still a little nervous. So we went in there, uh, we, we had on our masks and the owners hadn't actually, like they didn't have a lot of people in there. And I remember we ordered these balsamic glazed Brussels sprouts. They were um, oven roasted. And while we sat there, we planned the East Coast Canada tour. Wow. And I heard like the most amazing ideas and I didn't ever think it was something I'd be able to experience, but just to sit and witness those two women going back and forth about what power they had and how they could put it together and how they could bring other people along with them. I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. This is dope. <laughs> this is amazing. I love that. So the next thing um, I know we were all, planning to meet up. We met up at Sunflowers and we actually went on the tour. 
um, we drove through seven different cities and seven days, but we were actually on the road for 10 days total. Every single woman that was in the space was a mother, every single person. And they weren't a mother of little people. They were a mother of something that was just beyond what your mind can comprehend. But everyone had that mother energy. Um, and we visited all these black owned farms and dispensaries and cultivars. And we sat with people who would, who were billionaires. And I'm just like sitting there like, what the heck? Like, and while we were out there, one of the states that we visited was North Carolina. We actually took a day trip there. And when we went to North Carolina, we, uh, we met the owner of Brown family farms or hemp and hempfinity, the hempfinity brand. Um, that's another sponsor uh, that is of the story is just beautiful. Again, if you go to the website, um, the name of the article is um, Reclaiming Ancestral Power. So that's BeTravelingVegCannonWriter.com, Brown Family Farms and Hempfinity, Reclaiming Ancestral Power. And we heard the dynamic story of a, a gentleman that was like a prodigal son. He left his family farm, came back and turned the farm that his family had been raised as slaves on into like they they read they purchased they purchased it they had their they they were given their freedom um because of the you got to read the story because i can't even hold on let me get it together because i gotta tell you the son of the slave owner ended up he ended up leaving because he was told while he was in the in the woods by a passerby a soldier that hey why y'all let let your master know y'all free the masters had not let the slaves know that they were free, you know, they hadn't known yet. So they're wandering around here not realizing that they have freedom. But what I think the most dynamic part about it was that his father was his slave, was his owner. So it's a, it's a crazy story and you got to read it for yourself to really get the understanding of how deep it goes. Wow. Um, I don't want to ruin it for you. I want you to really, I want you to read it so you can really feel it. Um, but this man ended up purchasing his family, his, his, the land, and he ended up turning one of the, co- the cotton fields in the house that his family had grown up on into like a hub for marketing. There was a train that went through there. We got to see the train, that where the train tracks were. We got to see how they got their deliveries so that their farm sustained. And this young man, Mr. Brown, actually ended up purchasing all of that, or holding on to and repurchasing that land and repurposing it. Um, in addition to that, they had over, I believe it was, hold on a second, don't quote me because I, I did put the numbers in it, but there was so much, it was so much, I couldn't even contain it all. Um, 2,000, yep, 2,000. I wanted to make sure 2,000 acres. The property at one point spanned 7,000. At this point now, he's accumulated 2,000 acres, which he utilizes for CBD hemp production. Um, we walked through the fields. You can see the pictures. Um, that were taken by Sunflower Cakes lead baker, uh, rest in peace to Waffle, who was an amazing soul. Um, but it, uh, it, it was something about it where when we walked through the land, you were just like, what, what am I experiencing right now? You could feel the energy of the ancestors. There was no lack of space. And um, Patrick is his name. Patrick Brown guided us in such an effortless way and told the story in such a way that I really feel that even when we got to the property that they owned, where it was like the it was the house where the um, the family had lived, and you could see there were slave quarters. You could feel the energy of the um, the spirits that were still there. It was just, uh, it was it's something that I now when I'm thinking about, it, I'm getting chills. Because uh, you really gotta, you gotta experience it. Hearing V tell the story I, of where of the places she had visited wasn't. It was. It did no justice. It really did no justice. Because when you get there, you're like, yo, I know you're telling a dynamic tale because this is just amazing. Now imagine that's from V always doing what she has done, which is taking life by the horns, doing exactly what she decided she's going to do with that Aryan energy. And it is an honor to have experienced that with her. And it's an honor now to tell these stories. People need to understand if you don't know who she is by now, you better get with it because you are missing out on something that is revolutionary. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's so important that we're doing this on a monthly basis. And I can't wait. But continue. I know you have a little bit more to talk about, right? 
Um, I do. I just I would talk. I could talk forever about this. <laughs> and I could listen to it forever. <laughs> I really feel like the East Coast Canon Tour is something that we've talked about it in articles, but we highlighted so much together. Um, but V being a part of uh, the Bud and Breakfast family now, um, there's something about, like I said, the power that she wields. Just her name. People are like, yeah, I know who that is. I know exactly who she is. And it's not about just knowing. It's about understanding that V is a woman of her word when she says, I can get people to know who you are. I can get people to understand what you're doing here. I can bring folks to you. And I've seen everything that she touches turn to gold. And so I'm a believer. Um, and I am a supporter. And I'm on board with whatever we're doing. <laughs> I love it. Let's start a cult. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> No, we're not starting a cult, but we will have a monthly travel show called Where in the World is V? And if you're familiar um, with the show Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, it's kind of a play on that. And we're going to do a lot of fun things with that theme. So stay tuned and check us out on Pinterest because we have a Pinterest now. Um, and we also are starting a Patreon, so we will put that in the notes, and we will also put the um, Pinterest link in there as well, or the whatever it is, <laughs> the user ID. I don't know. I'm too old to do the right thing, you know. Okay, so before we end the segment, where can people find you, Dom, and where can people find V's work as well? You can find primarily V's work on vtravelingvegcannawriter.com. Just bring some more traffic to that site because that's where all of her services are listed. Um, and you get to see the layout and you get to see what people see. It's just a good way to get there without traffic. But otherwise, you can check her out on, on many of her platforms. Um, right now, we're doing some switching because I see a lot of censorship, but check V out specifically on LinkedIn for, for business inquiries and for watching her until this uh, this podcast takes off and in, in the, with the segment that we're doing. Um, for me, you can find me on Instagram. Right now, I'm not shadow banned yet, um, but you can find me at Dom underscore the Cannon Mom. And you can find both of us on LinkedIn. You have to look up Veronica as Veronica Castillo, not V. And um, so make sure you type out the whole name. And then for me, you can find me as Dominique Hart. Um, and we're looking into other platforms. So I've been I, I've been trying to figure out what works and uh, learn some of these beta programs so that I know how to navigate. So we'll have some more information for you soon. Awesome. And uh, you'll hear from us more about this next month. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram at Your Highness Podcast or on Twitter at Highness Podcast. Be sure to rate us on iTunes and subscribe.